Well, good afternoon, Grant, and welcome to the Room with a View studio. Thanks, Scott. It's great to be back. Can you believe this is Room 3? Yes, two down, <laughs> into the next one. And uh, we've got a fair bit to get through today. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're incorporating feedback we've received, uh, which is great. It's in line with our purpose of, I guess, providing a positive contribution to the industry, promoting further conversations. Uh, the feedback says we're doing that. Uh, so it's, I'm looking forward to this chat. The other feedback that I've received is cut the crap. More killers, less fillers. That's right. So on that basis, let's go. This is Room with a View Free. Great song by the the Beatles. Why did we choose that one today? I think that's reflective of a couple of things in tandem. So, as the lyrics say, it feels like years since it's been here, and I think that's the industry. You know, it has been years since it's been here. We've gone through two years of absolute rubbish, and we're ready to go. And we want everybody to feel like the sun's coming out, because it is. You can see it in your numbers, but... Not necessarily guaranteed that people lift and are ready to go. We're heading into spring. You can feel it. The sun's coming back. Uh, And I think uh, the topic that we're going to focus on today, it really lends itself to that as well. So just on that, what are we going to talk about today? You've had some feedback, as have I, that we kind of got halfway into a conversation last time around and and people want to understand more. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, look, last time we were talking in a very specific context. So we were talking about how there are things that change you as a person that we can look to, I guess, incorporate into our leadership journey when we're looking for people as leaders, how those things might be important. And one of those was obviously me talking about an experience I had uh, with a panic attack, which led to me then going on a journey of, of, I guess, understanding and learning Myself, the brain, human behaviour, all those things. Now, the feedback we've received is, guys, that's a topic we want to hear more about. That's something that's resonating with everybody in the industry and quite understandably based on what we've been through. We didn't go necessarily very deep on it. We went through it in a very specific context. But the feedback we've had is, guys, can we please get a bit more deeper on that specific subject and flesh it out a bit more? So that's what we're going to try and do today. I was surprised. I talked uh, about everybody having a degree of anxiety and that seems to be the one thing that people have grabbed on from what I had to say last time round which was that yes you're right you know why wouldn't we feel anxious right now you know there's so much going on uh there's actually um the recovery that's one thing and I'm a generally pretty optimistic person by nature the recovery of our industry is one thing and you're right spring is on the way generally a pretty good time to be around um particularly Sydney where we're broadcasting from but there's so much stuff going on and there's so much bad news in the world that, and, and locally that makes you just feel like this is all a bit too much. Yeah, that, that's true. And you can see why anxiety creeps in. Um, it's, a, it's a psychological fact that thoughts create feelings and the things that we've been bombarded with for a long period of time, really the thoughts that come off the back of that You've got to be made of some pretty tough stuff to not have that somehow seep in and allow you to go down a path of thinking, you know, what might happen here. I mean, it's completely normal, completely natural, and I think one of the things we need to get out today is we need to normalise this. This is absolutely standard for everybody. It's not a rare example where one person had it happen and it didn't happen to everybody else. This is normal stuff, and I think we want to get that across today. So just to recap, uh, Room with a View 2, you described a panic attack that happened to you whilst you were making coffee. And the next thing you know, you're on your way to hospital thinking you're having a heart attack. 
you have said that that's a normal kind of escalation of events and that the human condition is really based around focusing on the negative. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, so funnily enough, if you go and read this sort of stuff, and I said last time, like I try and read or absorb as much as possible um, because you'll never know enough on this subject. The human brain is just a fascinating thing. So one thing that I found interesting was reading about evolutionary psychology and this idea that we're actually not designed for sustained happiness. So the human brain was designed to essentially keep us safe and reproduce and so part of that safety aspect is not allowing yourself to get comfortable relaxed happy and leave yourself vulnerable so i guess an easy way to describe it is the human brain is designed to attach itself to negative thoughts like velcro and it's designed to let positive happy things slide off like teflon because you are supposed to be in a state of alertness constantly for your own safety and negative thought patterns also are meant to motivate you to improve things that's that's what they're designed to do and i think throughout the conversation today i hope that people take away that negative thoughts are actually not a bad thing they're actually key to our success so how to incorporate them how to manage them how to get the best outcomes very much in line with what you talked about last time with ben crow about managing yourself out of thought processes that maybe are not providing things that are good for you and then when you do get into happy spaces and happy thoughts try and sustain it as long as you possibly can which from what you're saying is a little bit counterintuitive so for for listeners that haven't heard the quote uh, that i was referring to last time around from ben crow it is that uh, it's twofold number one life is unfair and your ability to accept that and that that happens to everybody and move through that very quickly uh, and get to a place of happiness is is critical uh, the other part to the ben quote the ben crow quote is that when you are in a good spot um, trying to stay there for as long as possible and, and be grateful for what you what you have so what you're saying is that it is quite natural to have these negative times and these negative thoughts and really hang on to them uh, it's not natural to move past them yeah, I think it's it's more that it is natural to have them. So everybody has them. They're very common. The, the brain has been designed that way. It's about how you're able to utilise those things to get really good outcomes and then provide balance to yourself and really try and sit in a, in a balanced state where you are, you are comfortable, you feel safe, you feel happy as much as possible. Um, negative thought patterns are not bad as i said that they're essential so how how have you used that for good for you like how do you use what happened to you then and and knowing yourself perhaps a little bit better how do you use it for good so i guess the the key piece there is probably to identify what actually triggered that event for me and we didn't really go into that we just talked about when it happened and what happened afterwards but so at that particular time I was working essentially three roles, as I said, Um, long hours, not a lot of sleep in there. Um, I was working out hard as part of that day. Um, It also happened to be the first time in my life that I'd ever lived by myself. I was 30 years old. I'd never, ever lived somewhere by myself. So even when I first moved to Darwin, I was always sharing with somebody, um, And then at that point in time, I was actually by myself. And so it was a bit of a perfect storm of overworked, not taking care of myself in terms of sleep, managing my thought processes, managing my stress levels. And then when I went home, it's deafening silence. (laughs) So, And I wasn't used to it. So when I unpacked uh, what was actually happening for me, there was a subconscious thought going through me around this being by myself. You know, I've been in a, in a large family, uh, living with friends out of home, living with girlfriends, whatever it might be, all the way through, and then all of a sudden I'm by myself. And so when I got home from work, I might be fine in my conscious brain, I make my dinner, I sit down, I watch an episode of Seinfeld, whatever it might be. But then I turn the TV off and I go to bed 
and I feel like the house is just this crazy uh, empty space. And it was weird for me. Subconsciously, obviously, I must have been drawing feelings of safety or something from having other people around. Or is it? could it be a case of being too much in your own head and your own thoughts? You know, sometimes you just... Well, that's the beauty you can of... think things too much. Well, that's the beauty of the subconscious brain. It's not always in sync with the conscious brain. So in unpacking it, obviously that was a thing for me, uh, that I was on my own. Combine that, though, with working way too much, uh, driving myself way too hard, going to the gym every day, working hard. Friday night, I'd go out. I had a great social life. You know, my conscious brain is having a, a pretty good experience, I would say. Great friends. Friday night, we'd go out, have a great time together. Saturday, I'd sleep it off. Sunday, back into work again. Um, so it was that. So there were two things. There was this uh, living by myself for the first time ever. And then on the work front, I always felt like I was a high achiever. I was going, 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 going. And my career up to that point had been constant promotion and moves. When I was doing the three roles, I felt really vulnerable that I was not nailing this. And subconsciously, clearly I have this level of uh, stress around that. And uh, my conscious brain, I'm at work, I'm doing the job trying to get things done go 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 but I didn't feel in myself subconsciously that I was actually doing a good job that made me feel really vulnerable and you know like potentially I could get fired you never you never know right you go through these processes uh, subconsciously that's running through me that's what led to what came out uh, in the end so it was it was actually an interesting thing for me to actually understand that these subconscious thought patterns were even happening because they're not self-evident. They don't, they don't come through every day where you're thinking about them. They're underlying. We talked about safety last time around and the importance of feeling safe. Do you think feeling vulnerable or less safe is almost a trigger? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you look at those two things combined, I mean, safety would be a, an overarching theme. You know, I'm by myself. Uh, you know, if something happens to me... Um, who knows? No one's around. Uh, and at work, not feeling like you're secure, you're not doing what you think you should be doing. Um, safety would be absolutely like an umbrella across the two. Which is what we were talking about, about this safe place creation, just how important that is, mm. you know, whether that's in the workforce, at home, or, you know, just as, as friends, you know, making the environment as safe as it can be can facilitate these conversations and for someone to feel a little bit better uh, about what they're facing and about themselves. Yeah, so on the, on, the, on the process of trying to resolve this, so I'll deal with the, the work aspect of that because it's an example that people can probably understand easily. So I spoke to, I spoke to a psychologist as part of this process because I needed to understand what I had to do and they gave me lots of advice on things to do. With the work one... Once we identified that that was something that I was feeling underlying, I guess, stress about, psychologist said to me, right, mate, you're going to get fired tomorrow. So let's write it down. What happens? Right? Like, let's assume that you are. You're getting fired tomorrow. What? Life's unfair. Let's accept it. Exactly. And work out what process we need to put in to manage it. Yep. So he said, write them all down. And he made me write this detailed list. So I wrote the list. Um... I'd probably move back in with mum and dad. Um, I'd probably move out of my apartment. Um, I'd have to go and find another job. And literally, I owned my car. I had no debts. I had money in the bank. Once we got past, I'd probably have to go and live with mum and dad and get a new job. There was nothing else, (laughs) right? So once I went through that, I was like, it doesn't matter. Like, it honestly does not matter. Even if I do get fired tomorrow, the world's going to be fine. The sun will rise. Yeah, my, my life will actually be completely fine the next day. So honestly, that one that one task completely removed the stress that I was feeling, that underlying stress about work. And from there, my career then kicked on. It was it was one exercise. So again, to reinforce the message, one conversation can change everything. 
right? If you're someone who's feeling this way or you're someone who's supporting someone who's feeling this way, make no mistake, one conversation can change the entire ballgame. And do you find yourself now being more aware of people around you? And can you can you spot things in a crowd? Like, can you can you look at a group of people and say, "I want that person there. They might not be doing okay. I might need to yes, check in." Yes, my wife constantly says to me, "I predict things for people based on behaviours that I see," and sometimes it's it's my place to approach them, and sometimes it's not. Um, and I have said to Why my, wouldn't you, though? Uh, because of the relationship or lack thereof, right? And I've said certain things to my wife about people that we see or know, and I've said, look, something's not right there, something's going to happen there, and you know, my wife has sometimes said to me, do you think you're viewing it that way because you perceive them a certain way? And I've said, look, I'm not putting any judgment on it, I'm just telling you I'm seeing that and I think something is going to happen there. I've never been wrong yet and my wife says to me like, oh, how did you see that, right? So it's once you start getting obsessed with like the brain, like behaviour and things like that, it's hard, to un, it's hard to unsee it. It's like in a band, I'm always singing backing vocals, right? So when I hear a song on the radio, all I hear is the backing vocals. I never hear the actual main melody and I can't stop it. Because or a clairvoyant trying to turn it, turn it off. You know, like once you've got that that skill or that gift, you just can't turn it off. Yeah. So I think it's so in, in a professional sense, I will walk into a room with a group of people who are in a meeting with me. Sometimes I will see something and go, "Okay, I think something's not okay there," and I'll modify my approach to that person. To see if it's see if I feel like that is legitimate. Um, if I feel like it is, I'll absolutely like back right off, making them engage because they're not. I can tell they're not feeling up to it. And then I'll I'll s- slowly ask others uh, whether they're okay. Is there anything that we need to do there? Um, and quite often, I'm I'm on the money. Um, sometimes they they actually want to engage with me and talk about it because no one's picked it up before or no one's really opened up a forum for them to be completely honest and open about it. It has happened where I've sat down to them, I've explained my journey and my journey's not everybody's journey but it's an example of, yeah, it happens to anybody and it's, it's transient, it's not permanent. And I have found that most cases... Nothing's perfect in life, but in the majority of cases, when the conversations open up, great things happen. And I've seen some of these people go on to great things because they feel good, you know. And it's the starting point. You know, you said safety is the starting point for service. Safety is the starting point for everything, really. Mm. And for our guys, you know, I make, I make a big thing out of, of when, we're, when I'm dealing with, like, hotel teams to make sure everybody starts the meetings, the interactions from a position of safety. Because if I don't, I'm going to get really poor outcomes and we're not going to get what we want for any of us in the room. Um, and look, they deserve to feel good when they're, when they're at work, you know. Um, so, yes, it's something that is, is there constantly. Um, it is always good to see people go through a journey and come out really strong. And that's one thing that I would say to anybody who is feeling that way. If you go through the journey, you commit to the journey, you, you do come out feeling strong. It's kind of your kryptonite in a way, this, because it's something that could have been harmful to you, but in essence it's become a superpower. Well, I think it's actually my, my superpower, everybody's got a superpower of some kind, and I was asked this recently by someone you know, like, what is your superpower and how has it served you? And I, I said to them, look, my superpower is actually pattern recognition. That's my superpower. So, pattern recognition. Yep. So in numbers, in behaviour, um, in trends, like I recognise the patterns really, really quick and then I want to jump ahead and get ahead of them um, or help shift them, right? I, I see 
I see the Titanic hitting the iceberg before the iceberg's in in sight, right? That's sort of that's sort of my superpower. When you combine that with, I guess, watching behaviour, then you can sometimes predict things uh, or certainly become aware or attuned to things. So when I was younger, when I was in leadership positions in my twenties, and I didn't really have the maturity piece, that superpower used to drive everybody nuts because I'd be in a meeting. I'd reach the end and know exactly what we needed to do as a business about 10 minutes in. Or let me tell you the future. <laughs> well, yeah. And so, you know, very respected and uh, established colleagues are sitting around me going, oh, for God's sake. And they, Here he goes again. I was, and I was told, like, we can all see, mate, we can all see on your face when you've reached the end of this thing and you're ready to move on. But we're not there yet. So that's a, that's a thing that was actually an inhibitor early on. When you get into more of a, a senior leader space and you're a bit more mature and you go into these meetings, you know it's not about you. It's about getting everybody to that point safely. Mm. Right? So it's a very different approach. So, yeah, I think for me that's, that's where it comes from. Um, I am always observing behaviour naturally. Um, and it's always about you, you want to get into any interaction that you have with anybody you know, whether it be professional, whether it's me at school with the kids' parents, you just want it to be a good interaction. So you do take your cues from other people, try and work out, you know, what's what's appropriate. Um, and as I said last time on the pod, like if you do understand the brain and you just try and get some basic understanding and understand certain principles that might happen at different times, it's not that you're like manipulative or you can see the future or any, any of these things – but you can certainly try and take the best course of action in dealing with other people. So, I mean, it's, it's important to say we're not psychologists. No, we're of just, course not. We're just two leaders yeah. having a chat about people because we care. Mm. Is one of those things that you look for someone sort of leaving the flock a little bit, you know, not engaging, acting a little bit different? So if there's one thing that aspiring leaders should look for in their teams to, to bring people on a journey and and create safety, what what would it be? Change. Change. So that's that's the thing for me. So it's when you see a behaviour shift. So you might have someone in your team that is gregarious in nature, right? And that's great. And then you might have someone in your team who's actually quietly spoken. They might have a great sense of humour and all that sort of stuff, but they're not someone who's like dominant and all that sort of stuff. You know, the gregarious person all of a sudden goes quiet, Right, it's or the quiet person goes gregarious, or the quiet person goes gregarious, or has uh, shows more emotion than normal. You know, doesn't quite. Well, it's a shift. You, you notice a shift, and it's like, okay, that's not the person I know. That's a that's a deviation, and then that's when you can you can really start to ask some questions just to check if that's. You know, something something minor like I talked about last time, like a flat tire on the way to work, or is there something more to it? Well, let's let's take a break, shall we? Have a glass of water, and when we come back, let's talk about what you can do about it. Absolutely. All right, let's have a break. This is Room with a View. be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you by now you should have somehow realized what you gotta do i don't believe that anybody feels the way i do about you now backbeat the word is on the street that the fire in your heart is out i'm sure you've heard it all before but you never really have You know, with our second podcast, I, I did get some feedback from a colleague that you guys talk far too much about <laughs> music. So I don't, I don't want to talk too much about that song, but it is handpicked because uh, a Wonderwall is a, it's a mythical person uh, who is meant to protect you from yourself. So that's why we chose this song today. You, you asked my wife, you will never, ever get me to stop talking about music at length. Uh, but 
<laughs> we take all feedback. We shortened it down. A hundred percent. So, uh, particularly when the feedback comes from your wife, Grant, I'll give you <laughs> the tip. So, uh, let we talked about what you might see in others, but when you had your episode, what was going on for you? Were you feeling anything physically? We've talked about what you might be feeling emotionally, but physically, what was going on for you? Well, it's interesting because I would say at that period of time, I felt I I thought I was pretty happy actually um i had a really good group of friends and and most of those people are still friends of mine today uh from from darwin it was a really good social social environment you know i was playing tennis with a with a complete group of strangers um who ended up being great people i was training a guy who asked me to mentor him so he wanted to like really get in shape um so he and i trained together every day um, and he was going on a great journey of, of really getting in shape and becoming the best version of himself, the version that he wanted. So these are like meaningful things that I'm really enjoying. Um, obviously running the hotels was fun. I love running hotels. So it's not like these things were negative experiences, but I'm pushing too hard. Like I'm taking too much in. I'm not taking the breaks to recharge and I'm not sleeping enough. Like all the things that we should do to, to really keep ourselves on a good footing every day. Those things weren't there. And then my body was actually sending me signals in advance. So I was getting these like abdominal pains. And I thought I'd actually like strained one of my abs or something at the gym. And so I went to the doctor and, and he, he did like a thorough examination and said, no, your abs are fine, mate. And I flew to Sydney for work and I ended up spending the weekend at mum and dad's and it went away, the abdominal pain went away and then when I flew back to Darwin it came back again and so I was actually thinking, oh, is, it, is it like heat related or is it something that I'm eating up there? So I was going through all this stuff and the doctor couldn't help me. Um, looking back, that was my body saying, mate, uh, yeah, things are not going well here. It was actually all of my stress and tension was focused in my diaphragm. So this, this abdominal pain was actually my diaphragm, like clenched like a fist. And I didn't realise that that was happening. And the more I pushed, the more I worked, the more I worked out, the more I went and drank with my friends, the tightening just kept going. And then obviously then culminates at the end. So when the pressure's off, I don't have to do the, jo- the other job anymore. When the pressure's off, the valve is released and bang, like down I go. So we've talked about what happens as an outcome of this subconscious anxiety, stress, pressure. How do you stop that from happening now and into the future? What, how do you modify? You, you mentioned on the last podcast that you modify your behaviour and you've got a choice of two outcomes. Mm-hmm. I can either keep going down this path and this is going to happen again or I can change. Just explain that to us. There's a couple of things that were taught to me that were super important. Um, one is thoughts create feelings, right? That's just a and it, it's a fact. And so, what you're looking to hone in on is thought patterns, because everything follows from that. And then, if you understand that there's so many things in the world for all of us that then shape our thought patterns. If something could happen to you, like we talked about, you have a flat tyre on the way to an important meeting. You weren't asking for that. You certainly weren't given a heads up to prepare yourself mentally. But now it's happened. So you have a choice. And really what I was, what I was given the, the skills to do was almost to have a mindful separation. So you step back. And you look at yourself in the third person and go, Grant's just had a flat tyre. He's not feeling good right now. What's Grant going to do? Well, Grant's actually feeling like, or Grant's actually thinking this is going to be a really bad day. What should Grant be doing right now? And so you have this sort of mindful separation. It's almost like you're sitting above yourself mm. looking in. Yes, absolutely. So if you... If you were to talk to someone else, so if, if my if my daughter rang me and said, "Dad, I've, I'm I'm on my way to an important meeting and my car broke down, I can't get there," what would I say to her? 
right? I'd make her feel great, right? I'd make her feel great. I'd put her in a, in a headspace where she's going to be just fine and I'll see you at dinner and we're going to have a laugh about what happened to you today. Yes. Do it for yourself. Yeah. Right? That is, that is, the, that is the fundamental key to it, right? You refer to, I think you refer to it as an active observer, yeah, a- a- active a- active observer is is a term I think that I've I've read somewhere. You try and give yourself, as I said, this mindful separation. So it's not that you're not experiencing it; you are, of course. But you give yourself a, a chance to take a step back and look at yourself, like you said, sort of like an out of body experience, and just look at yourself in the third person and go, "What's really going on here? Do I need to adjust?" Right. And so, what you get really good at is retraining your brain. And the beauty for everybody listening is the brain actually can be completely retrained to do things a different way. It takes time, it takes practice like everything else, but it can be done. So instead of being a prisoner to your thoughts, you're kind of reframing them and saying, I'm in control here. And by being in control, I can then modify my feelings and my emotions. Yes, and if you create... If you create mindful separation and then you remind yourself negative thoughts are necessary. They are transient. They yes. Don't, they don't hang around. They, they're transient. Like a bad restaurant service. It has a start and an end. Yep. Once, you, once you're able to get that mindful separation, you understand that negative thoughts are necessary. Your, your, your brain is actually trying to protect you. You're able to... Look at them as transient. They're not hanging around. This is not permanent. This is just something that's happened to me right this second. You can then start to, I guess, reduce the amount of power that those things might have over you as a person. Then with that mindful separation, you can say, where am I going to go now? Where would I take this? Where should I take this? For my own sanity, well-being, happiness, (laughs) what should I reshape this to? And then go down that path. And it takes practice. So it's not something that necessarily is innate to everyone. But like many other things in life, many other skills that you want to be good at, if you keep practising that, you'll get very, very good. So none of us are impervious to these things. We're not. Mm. And so, you know, it's about knowing that when that happens, because it will, life will bring that to you, the world will bring that to your doorstep for you or someone you love. What do I do? What's the best way for me to try and approach this? To get, to get the best possible outcome. And I suppose then you've got the added advantage of knowing your how your body works and how your body captures stress and and where you're going to feel it in your body. Mm. You'll know whether you're being successful in regulating these thoughts by how your body feels, particularly in your diaphragm. Is that is yeah. that right? Is that and, how the two so, come together? Yeah, so a, a very simple thing that you do or can do as part of this, breathing is is huge Yeah. Right. in terms of this. And so what I learnt is when my diaphragm is, is full of stress and it's locked up, I got taught a very simple breathing exercise. You put one hand on your diaphragm, yep. you put one hand on your belly button, and basically you have to breathe so that the hand that's on your diaphragm is going up and down, the other one is stationary. And basically what happens through that breathing exercise, you actually release all of the tension in your diaphragm. And so even that, I don't, I don't remember who taught me that, but that one skill, it meant that I didn't even need to suffer the physical symptoms. If I didn't want to, I could, I could address them very quickly. A slight segue, and in the spirit of, of not talking crap <laughs> on this podcast, otherwise we'll get slaughtered, Wim Hof and cold technique, the Iceman, talking about exerting the body to extreme cold. It's got all these health benefits. But one of the one of the things you should do at the same time as uh, exerting the body to cold, whether it's a cold shower or an ocean swim in the middle of winter, is breathing and really deep breathing, mm. like really getting the breath out. And uh, it sounds terrible. Uh, the neighbours will come running and start calling AAA when you do it with the bathroom window open. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it does make a difference. Yeah. It does make a difference in how you just start the day and how you feel. It just, you know, almost like you're breathing away stress. Okay, so we've talked about you and, and the choice that you have uh, and, and how that feels. We've talked about then what you can see in others and noticing a change in behaviour. How should you address that? 
what do you do when you notice that the quiet person has all of a sudden become loud and a bit different? Um, or the quiet, the the loud person has become quiet. It's a bit different. I suppose their interactions that you go, that was a bit weird. What what do you, how do you approach it? Like we talked about on the last episode, without trust, these types of conversations are very difficult. So if I if I don't have, I guess, an established level of trust with the person, I don't go in and start these conversations. I talk to someone who has that established level of trust to see if they actually think there might be something that needs to be discussed. And quite often they'll say, actually, now that you mention it, and they will have observed something, right? And then I will always ask if, if they're comfortable having a chat. And I always obviously keep it very, very relaxed. And I will, I will give up more of myself in the conversation for them to feel like, Certainly no judgment. I know when I was going through this, talking about this at work, no thanks. It was never going to happen. The environment was not conducive to that. So I'm, I'm hell-bent on making sure that when people are in a professional setting, the environment is absolutely conducive to that. Whether we we have to have this conversation, don't we? I mean, oh, yeah. what we've been doing in the past, uh, as, as a result, walking and living proof in you, uh, it doesn't work. Mm. Like, we've got to... We've, and when I say that, I mean you had the, your episode, and that that proves that the the environment and keeping it quiet does not work. We have to have this conversation. Yeah. Now, the, I guess the other thing is it's not about me. Like the conversation is about them. So if they don't want to have it, I don't force it. Yeah. If they're comfortable to have it, I'll, I'll sit there all day until they feel like they understand something that they need to understand, or they feel like they're ready to maybe take some action, um, I'll talk to them as many times as they want to, um, but I certainly wouldn't force it on anyone. Like it, it's, a, it's a personal journey and everybody has their own way of wanting to progress through these things. Um, if I do have a, a trusting relationship, then obviously I feel far more comfortable, you know, but always one-on-one, you know, always one-on-one, give them the opportunity to, to either engage with you or not. Um, most people want to talk about what's going on. Some people are not comfortable with it because it's not natural. It's not something they do regularly. But once you get into a conversation, I find more often than not at the end it's like, oh, thank, thank heavens I was allowed to or given the space to put this information out there. I really needed to do it. Um, again, I'm not a mental health expert. I don't pretend to be. It's about getting people to understand that health help is there it's it's everywhere mm. um there are ways to get out of the process or the thought process you're in right now for you to live a much much more meaningful life um and you can do it like you absolutely can i've done it um so it's really an encouragement conversation it's not a imparting like specifics conversation probably about setting the framework of this is a safe place yeah there's no judgment here. Um, there's no consequence. There's no retribution. Nothing's going to hold you back. I just want to have a chat about you. Mm. Yeah. And look, in terms of perceptions, so when I was when I was in America, and I, I I in several spots, I was lining up for I was lining up with my wife to buy tickets in Vegas for for some of the shows, and these little old ladies came up to me and tapped me on the shoulder and they said we just wanted to say thank you for your service. And I looked at my wife. I'm like, what? And I laughed. And I said, sorry, ladies. Uh, what, what are you talking about? They're like, you're in the army, right? And I'm like, uh, no, 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 I'm not. And then they realised I was Australian. And they're like, oh. So we had a bit of a laugh. And I was like, what? That's weird. And then uh, we were in New York. I'm walking through Central Park to go and have a look at – I was actually looking at everything that Ghostbusters did in New York. This guy's hawking stuff on the street – and he's trying to, like, harass everybody. And then I walk past and he said, oh, here comes a New Yorker, have a good day, right? I said to my wife, like, what? Like, he didn't even want to talk to me. He took one look at me and assumed I was from New York. And I said to my wife, I'm getting thanked for my service. Like, people, uh, one guy at a, at a restaurant asked what police station I worked in. Like, it was this whole thing, right? So, like, this is weird. So, that's America, that happened quite a bit to me when I was travelling around America. People assumed I was in the army, the police or something. 
in Australia, it doesn't happen like that. What I get is, did you play in the NRL? You know, stuff like that. Um, so there's this perception there. My, my eldest daughter, we were at the park uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she said, Dad, I want you to come over here and stand next to this play equipment. I'm going to go and play, and I want you to stand right there. So I said, okay, no, no worries. So I went and stood where she, she made me stand in this particular spot. She got up, did a climb for a few minutes, then she came back down. And then she said, come on, Dad, let's go. And I said, what was I doing? And she said, there's a boy on that play equipment that's been bullying me at school for weeks. I just wanted him to see you and get the message, and I know next week he won't do it anymore. I didn't even know what was going on. But I guess when you summarise all of that, when people see me, there is this perception, mm. right? So you've got it all together. You're strong. You're physically... You look fit, healthy. So um, there's this stoic... I mean, if you... Look, it's a typecast thing. You think army, police, NRL, like... There's this yeah. overlying thing, underlying thing there, right? So people look at me, that's what they get. I know that the people who are nearest and dearest to me see me as unbreakable, physically and mentally. And obviously through what I've been through... I get a lot of uh, people within my life who like to draw on strength from me. So talking about the fact that we are all... Perfectly imperfect. Perfectly imperfect. I will have the exact same things, even though the perceptions might be at times I'm, I'm unbreakable to people. and <laughs> I'm not. No one is. No. Anything can happen. Anything can happen today that will put me in a situation where I need to now do exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. I was having a chat with with some of the team here about this podcast and this subject today Mm. and the one thing that came out to everyone is we set these impossible standards for ourselves. You know, I need to be a perfect mum. I need to be a perfect brother, a perfect dad, a perfect employee. Like, What is perfection? And we hold ourselves to these standards that are just impossible in a way unless you... What do you call it? You called it an active observer. Unless you're an active observer as to all the things that you do that are really wonderful each day, you can be a prisoner to these impossible expectations that we have for ourselves. And it goes back to the human brain is designed to focus on the negative. The negative keeps you safe and the negative is what actually makes you progress, right? That's what drives progression. Happiness happiness, and it is associated with relaxation, you're not aware of your surroundings. So I think it ties into that, that piece. Um, the perfection is about that pursuit of, of, uh, of things and, and keeping going. But, you know, it's, uh, it's easier said than done, right? It takes practice. It really does. It takes a lot of practice to, to learn how to do this in a meaningful way. And the other thing to remember is as you go through your career, as you get more senior in what you do, these things actually get harder, not easier. So there is this assumption, you know, like I said, with perceptions, and I've got a lot of people who plug into me to get their strength back. I take pride in that, for my, particularly for my family. I take pride in it. But I know that I have to keep, my, I have to keep myself fully maintained at all times. If I don't... I've got all these people relying on me and I take pride in that. As you get to more senior levels, if you think, say, like a general manager, and I've said to the GMs in my care, I I know GM is the loneliest job in the world because you've got everybody outside the building, be it the, 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 the hierarchy up the chain, the owners, everybody wants a slice of you for what they need. Then you've got everybody below. Everybody wants the exact same thing, right? They need something from you. And I, I said to a couple of my department heads when I was a GM last, where's, where's my buddy? Yeah, where's my buddy just to sit down and crack a beer and have a peer-to-peer conversation so that I, I'm good? I'm taking care of everyone below and above and I'm happy to do it. That's part of the role. So it's that maintenance piece as well. And as you go up... Um, the ability to to maintain yourself men- mentally and the importance of maintaining yourself mentally the more senior you get it becomes more and more important because um, the people relying on you 
and really, I guess, putting situations in front of you that put you in different mindsets, it just increases. Yes. And in a way, it's another one of those expectations we place on ourselves. But you know what? The other thing is, on, on on the reverse side of that, because of my personality and, as I said, the perceptions of me as a person, do you know how many times I get asked how I'm going? Never. No. <laughs> Never, right? Because there's an assumption. And so that's the thing you also can't assume. I've spoken to senior leaders in our industry. I've called them because I know something's happening in their life. And I've said, how are you feeling today? And I can tell you the response some of the time, more often than not, is just genuine shock that I've asked because they're so ingrained to be serving everybody else's needs in a day that people don't ask up how are you are you okay is everything all right how are you feeling today it doesn't happen so Mm. if that's an interesting interesting one it is much easier to ask down to someone who you are used to supporting in, in a coaching capacity whatever it might be it's much easier naturally to ask that question but to then ask your boss or someone three levels above you or what it might be, how are you? Are you okay? It's not natural. But I, I can tell you when you do it, for me, like quite often, as I said, there is shock that the question's asked. And sometimes they don't actually give you a real answer because of that. But I just go again, mm-hmm. right, and, yeah. and tap into it. And then they realise... He's not going away. Actually, <laughs> no, but it's more like they're genuinely interested in how I'm feeling. Yeah. So it is an interesting one. Yeah. Well, look, great, great conversation. Thank you for being so honest and thank you for taking us through what happened to you and and how it's affected your life, um, both good and and being more aware of what's going on for you. Uh, We really appreciate it. If it's okay with you, can we keep this conversation going through this podcast? I I think there'll naturally be elements of of this. like we talked about last time, we want to be the Billy Mac of podcasting. <laughs> yeah. uh, please, if, you, if you didn't hear the last one, please Google Billy Mac uh, and love actually, you'll understand who Billy Mac is. So please um, do give us feedback. Please do like and um, and subscribe to our podcast. We did reach 122 last week, Grant, with this podcast, this little podcast that we're putting together in the Room of the View studio uh, but thank you for being so honest with us. I really appreciate it. No, absolute pleasure. And look, if anyone wants to, if anyone's prompted by hearing this to want to have a conversation, um, if you're not connected to me on LinkedIn or if you don't have my number, connect with me on LinkedIn, shoot me a message. If you have my number, shoot me a message anytime. Like obviously after last week's discussion, I have received messages in the last week from people who are sharing their experiences and things they're going through right now. I'll talk to anybody anytime. Thank you. And the same goes for for me as well. Uh, We're totally invested in trying to help, uh, trying to help people. So if you do want to reach out to either of us, uh, we are here for you and we really appreciate you taking time to listen to this podcast. So uh, as a result, uh, we'll invest time back into you as well. All right, you've met Olivia Newton-John Grant and it would be very remiss of us not to talk about her, an Aussie icon who, uh, yes, well-known for her music, but possibly uh, her greatest gift is her advocacy for cancer sufferers. Would you like to take us through and take us out, please, with your Olivia Newton-John story? So I was lucky enough to meet Olivia Newton-John in 1998. Uh, She was with Sir Cliff Richard, actually. They were uh, doing a tour together. They were... Very close friends. So this was, I think, early 1998. I was in my still in my night audit phase. I met so many great celebrities. Anyone thinking about being a night auditor... It's the time. ...do it yeah. because you see all of these people at a time of day where they're naturally up, right? They're ready to go. They want to socialise. I met so many great people. But Olivia Newton-John, uh, she was touring with Cliff Richard... Uh, they came in, uh, there was a huge crowd in the lobby who were expecting them to come back from the concert. So um, they obviously didn't want to go through this throng of people. This little little old man came in and said, I'm Cliff Richards' manager, I need you to get Cliff and Olivia into the hotel. So I said, okay, no worries at all. So I went outside, met them, said, let's go through a, let's go through a security entrance and I, I escorted them through 
and up to safety into the elevator, into their room. Uh, we had a brief chat. And so the funny thing is Cliff Richard said to me, uh, thanks so much, mate. You know, can I, can I sign something for you? And I said, mate, I've actually got a 45 of you singing Living Doll with the young ones. Yeah. He said, bring it in tomorrow. I'll sign it for you. So I've got that at home. Uh, he signed that for me. Olivia, she said, here you go. And she gave me every floral arrangement that she'd been given at this concert. So <laughs> I had like arms full of these flowers and I said to her, like, I appreciate it, but what am I going to do with this? And she said, come on, mate. You've got women in your life. You've got a mum. You've got a girlfriend. You've got you've probably got a few girlfriends. Hand them out and tell them they're from me. And so <laughs> I, was like, I said, oh, look, that's actually a fair point. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Uh, she was lovely. He was lovely. Uh, what I would say, you know, they, they say people won't remember what you say, but they'll remember how you make them feel. feel. Yeah. Um, she felt like your favourite auntie when you're, when you're a kid. That was the personality that I, I met. So, you know, she was a great source of national pride for all of us of our vintage growing up, you know, just doing so well overseas. Um, active in the hotel industry, obviously, uh, with her great, great resort. So, yeah, very sad to see her go. So, um, but the song that's playing us out, I, I love this song, right? So... Jeff Lynn from ELO is a musical genius. If you listen to this song in, in, with headphones on, I know people don't want us to talk about the music too much, but I can't help it. <laughs> listen to this song with the headphones on. You will hear 20 times, you'll hear 20 different instruments you've never heard the time before. And it's unbelievable. It was number one all around the world and uh, not a great movie, but an amazing song. Godspeed, Olivia Newton-John, uh, and thank you, Grant, for today. Uh, really appreciate your time and uh, really appreciate your insight. Thank you. This is Olivia Newton-John. This is Room With A View. Looking forward to seeing you next time. Thanks, Scott.